to the Understanding Projects podcast. My discussion today is with Simon Chan. I've known Simon for many years and have always found him to be an interesting and creative innovator. A discussion with Simon always gets you thinking in new ways. His career has been diverse, with roles including innovation and talent executive, future of work consultant, leadership coach, and many others. In his work regarding the future of work, he talks about the need for lifelong learning, embracing change, and the importance of maintaining healthy networks. His advice is equally useful for both those about to start their careers and for those who are at the mid or later point of their careers. Here is my discussion with Simon Chan. Simon, you've been involved in work involved or, or work related to the future of work. You've done a whole bunch of stuff about that. So I'm so I'm interested in talking, you know, really looking forward to this discussion with you. And so I, so I guess what I'm what my first question is project managers, what what do you think the future of of their work is? Like like how what what do they have a future in organizations and and you know, is it is it a career that uh, somebody should look to get into? Yeah, so I mean, uh <clears throat> I think um when I think about like kind of the future of work, uh, a lot of the words that come to my mind are things like increased complexity, um, ambiguity, um, uncertainty, like those are some of the things that like, they may sound scary, but that's the world that we're living in now, right? And that's the workplace of, of, of the future. And so when I think about kind of like what the antidote is to that is um, some level of project manager, right? People who can help make sense of a complicated situation and simplify it. Uh, people who can bring clarity to a more ambiguous uh, situation, right? And kind of cut through some of that uncertainty to create at least a bit of a plan. I get, you know, project management has evolved over, you know, the, the years that uh, that even I was involved, I started off my career, you know, 20, 25 years ago, where things were a little bit more stable, project management, you know, wasn't as fluid as it is, uh, sorry, was a lot more predictable than it is, than it is now. And so um, even giving a bit of that, um structure and guardrails to help, you know, uh, whether it be a product launch or a specific uh, project you're trying to try trying to manage through being able to put that structure and put some discipline around it, I think it's going to be a really uh, important skill. Uh, and I guess it's not just important, like if you're working for an employer, I I, I think that, you know, freelance project managers are, are going to be something that I think will be in, in, in high demand um, as uh, as companies think about, you know, their workforces. Yeah, what do you look for in a project manager? Like if you were, if you were, or, or, you know, I know you do a lot of consulting and so on with the future of work and helping people prepare for the future and all that. What, what kind of skills or what do you look for in a, in, in, in that type of a role, whether it's a project manager or really almost anyone going into an organization? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, there's a, there's a few things that I think are super important. So one would be just the big, the ability to communicate clearly, right? written form, you know, whether that's verbally, et cetera, you've got to be a good and clear communicator uh, in terms of how you, you know, break down concepts, um, ensure someone understands what they're being asked, whether it be a decision, et cetera. So I think communication, those skills are going to be increasingly more important. Um, the second one, probably overused, but, you know, being comfortable with just uh, an ambiguous situation, right? Uh, comfortable with uncertainty, right? So, you know, people that tend to go into project management, they like certainty, they like to organize things, they like 
the fact that um, the, you know bring bring organization out of chaos, which is great. Um, but you know, in the work environments that we're working in now, you know, decisions change quickly, the environment changes quickly. So you've got to be adaptable, uh, and you can't be locked into one specific plan. Uh, I think you're going to have to be able to um, you got to be able to roll with it, and you've got to be able to to manage expectations um, as they change. And I think that's going to be a, a big part of a project manager. The other one is just someone who is actually curious and willing to continue to learn, right? So um, when I think about people who are going to be successful as we evolve, you know, as the workplace evolves is getting out of the mindset that, you know, I, I took a class with Professor Barrett and I take that class and I'm done after that class. I think it's a really around um, staying curious about whatever it is that you're uh, interested in. If it's project management, staying curious on what are the, you know, the new um, methodologies and the new ways of, um, of practicing project management. If it's another topic, uh, it's staying curious on those and, and continuing to, to learn from those. Again, that may not be in a classroom environment. That may not be through textbooks. Although those are, you know, there's, there's a lot to be learned in the classroom and textbook environment, but it's through talking to other people, talking to other project managers, talking to people who have, different experiences than you, right? And so constantly staying um, curious and on top of what's what's happening next, I think is gonna be those skills. So kind of communication ability to operate in kind of an, uh, you know, an ambiguous environment. And then also, um, you know, um, finding ways to continuously stay relevant, I think are gonna be those things uh, kind of in the future um, that I think you're gonna need, whether you're a project manager or not. Yeah, I agree. Um... And and I and I like what you're saying about you know constantly learning and not necessarily from official sources. It's just from the people around you. Like you know, every time yeah. you you inter interact with somebody, it's an opportunity to say, well, how would you approach this situation, or or what would you do, you know, or or uh, you know, tell me about how you organize your day and and those types of things. You can you can learn a lot from that. Um, so what what's the you know you 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 were saying before you know you know, back years ago, things were predictable, you know, now things are more fluid. What's, what's, what's underneath that? Is that, is that just the, the, the um, faster pace of change in today's business or, or, or what, what is it that's pushing us to, 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 you know, not have that predictability anymore? Well, I think, you know, I think it's happening, you know, all around us. It's not any one specific thing, but I think, uh, it's everything from, you know, we're in a more globalized environment, right? So, you know, we are operating, if you're, if you're a, a project manager, if you're working in business, you're operating, you know, not in one country anymore, you're operating in multiple countries. So, you know, globalization is one of them. Obviously, technology is a huge um, change. Our expectations, I think about your students, right, Dave, like your students, uh, I can imagine the the evolution of what your students expected 20 years ago, in terms of what they learn how they learned and the application of technology in your classroom has changed dramatically over the last 20 years the fact that we're even doing a podcast right now you know not that that's revolutionary in terms of technology but it's just a different way of helping um, a student learn so i think there's um as technology has uh changed and that rate of change has increased uh the expectations that we have because we all carry phones around we all have we interact with our apps and we're we're um we experience that rapid change in technology all the time. That expectation goes into the classroom. That expectation uh, goes into what customers expect out of companies. And so it really has ne it necessitates the, the need for companies to change in a rapid rate, right? It's not, 
you know, if you think about, I don't know, when you, you know, when you first started working, uh, you know, in financial services, you know, maybe 2025, 20, 25 years ago, what did you really know about like competitors or what did you really know about what, you know, what other people, what the work environment was like in other organizations? You didn't, right? There wasn't LinkedIn, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't all these different ways for you to get a window into what was going on um, in terms of how other companies offered solutions, what it was like to work at other companies. So, you know, this technology uh, and globalization has allowed us to see um, which is great. It allows us to see what the possibilities are, et cetera. But it also, because it allows us to see the possibility, it helps shape our expectations of what our classrooms provide, um, what our interactions as customers are, et cetera. And all that pressure is now being downloaded into companies because now they have to react. They have to be able to continue to make their systems, um, their user interfaces, their interactions as modern as what, um, what we expect from our, from our day-to-day -day use. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Back in the that back, you know, years ago, you know, you'd you'd walk up to your competitors, you look at their building, the odd person would walk in and out, you talk to them, but you had these little snippets of, of of visibility. Now it's it's so much more with with the tools that you were that you were talking about. Um, a, a favorite or a topic I that I that I'm very interested in is is remote work versus in person work. And um, you know where where are you on that on that? Are we all going online? Is is work by by definition going to be virtual, or do you see a, a hybrid? And, and is that an area that you're looking at in your in your future of work? Is that is that something that you've been studying? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think um, it's interesting. So uh, I started doing some work uh, in the future of work. Um, well before the pandemic so three or four years ago yeah. and i can remember specifically a, a meeting i had with uh one of the one of the public sector organizations in town and we were talking about remote work and flexibility etc and the leadership team at that point in time said there's no way we can do this like we cannot have our people work at home we have a union etc you know and lo and behold during the pandemic when i you know talked to them again pretty much all their people were working at home so I think the reality of like, we can't work at home, this remote thing, like that's been dispelled, like the, the genie's out of the bottle, right? We've yeah. all experienced it. I think the answer to your question around like, <clears throat> do I believe it's remote, hybrid or in-person? I think it depends on a couple of things. I think it depends on um, the company. I think it like the space that they're in. I think it depends on the roles. Uh, and I think it depends on people's preferences. What I can say is I think that um, if you're not thinking about how do you adapt work to fit the needs of the talent that you're trying to attract, you're not going to get the talent that you're trying to attract, right? So the organizations that are thinking about, well, I got to bring my people back 100% in person, you can do that. But my what I would say is the counter argument to it is that are you going to be able to attract the talent that you want? Because I think a lot of the people that have experienced um, remote work or hybrid work have seen the benefits of it, right? So I don't think it's an all or nothing. I think where I personally sit is I think that um, that it's about flexibility and it's about being able to adapt our lifestyles and integrate it as best as we can with work, right? So, um, you know, are people going to sign up for the two hour commute to Toronto or, or Toronto there and back if they don't have the, if they don't need to? I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to not they're not going to they're not going to elect to go do that if they don't have to because there are options and back to the 
whole conversation about globalization, right? The marketplace for project managers or other people, it used to be, and again, we're, you know, Dave, we're sounding a little dated here, you know, and when we say back then, but, you know, back in the day when, if we lived in Kitchener-Waterloo, the places we could work were largely Kitchener-Waterloo, you know, you'd have to do your commute. Today, if you want to work for a company in Silicon Valley, or if you want to work for a company in Toronto or Vancouver, et cetera, remote's an option, right? And so the, the, the catchment of the opportunities that you have as a, as a project manager coming out of Conestoga, it, it's not as limited as to where you were, uh, you know, even, you know, pre-pandemic, right? So I think where I've landed is there's definitely going to be a space for remote work. Um, and I, I also think there's a space for, um, you know, hybrid uh, and in person. I think it's going to really depend on what the organizational strategy is, right? And so, you know, are they going to, you know, are how are they going to balance what their customers need and how are they going to balance what talent needs? And that design of what makes sense to create the flexible environment that's going to attract the right talent, but also serve the customer needs, I think that's kind of the formula. So it's not, I don't think it's really with companies that I work with. They want a one size fits all answer. They want to say, well, it's either we're either going to be remote or we're going to be in person or we're going to be hybrid. Right. And I think it's like it, you got to you got to really think through how those are just ways of working. How do you apply those ways of working to meet your customer needs and, and to make sure that you're attracting the talent that you talent that you need? Yeah, I, I struggle with this because, you know, we we're we're obviously in a remote environment right now. We're in, you know. Diff- different locations we're talking to each other through zoom um and it's good we can have a conversation um yep. having said that if we were in front of each other if we were you know in the same room or in a coffee shop or something like that it would be it would be a richer conversation we would be observing each other's body language a, a little bit more uh we would be picking up on cues i might be able to you know, just write a little diagram and show it to you very simply, as opposed to having to kind of bring up some kind of visual software and so on. Um, and so I struggle with that somewhat in that they, you know, we, we're, we're saying we, we've got to figure this out, but all of the many organizations are going to be looking at this all at once, trying to do that balance between, like you say, attracting talent, no, no doubt, being able to, you know, work from home and not have that to our computer commute is really handy. Like I, you know, I think we all like that. On the other hand, we're not, our interactions might be impaired a little bit, you know, yeah. could affect customers. And, and it's just how that plays out is going to be something that really is the organizations are going to be tangling with that over, you know, probably months and years. Yeah, I would think so. And I think you, I think you're, you're exactly right. Like this is a big experiment. No one has the right answer. And I think the organizations that go into this with an experimental mindset, which is we're going to try a bunch of th- different things and we're going to see what works, uh, is the way to to think about the problem. Because I think you're right. There are a lot of nuances of things that we don't even realize uh, that are missing because we're remote. So there's a couple of ways to handle that, right? You can you can train people to do that. You can you know adjust your practices, etc. Uh, but I think it's going to be like an iterative um, iterative process. To your thing about in-person, I think um, what I've talked to organizations about is there is absolutely a place for in-person, but I think you need to be intentional and deliberate about it, right? So bringing people together, um, you know, I think where people get frustrated is they're like, oh, well, we're mandated to be in the office two days a week or whatever the time frame is. 
but the work isn't organized in that way. So I come into I'll come into the office and um, it's just like regular meeting day. And so I'm having a Zoom meeting in my office while some people are in person, some people are remote, et cetera. And people are like, well, why am I bothering coming in to have a Zoom meeting, right? And so I think it's about thinking, again, dissecting how we work to figure out, okay, what are the activities that make actually a ton of sense for us to do remotely? Most efficiently can be done remotely. I would argue that if you've already got an existing team that you work with, et cetera, a team meeting, team updates, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do that. Now, if we're working on a problem together, if you and I are trying to, you know, solve a, a you know, plan out a, a project plan, as an example, you know, figure out what are all the, you know, figure out what the Gantt chart looks like, what are the work breakdowns, like and stuff like that, where it requires, um, you know, complex problem solving, et cetera, then yeah, that makes sense that that might make sense to have that done in person. Um, because there's that richness of drawing out a diagram, moving things around, et cetera. So it's really, I think about being intentional about spending time in person. I don't think people will tolerate or want to um, come into the office, commute, et cetera, for what I would say, what I would call like day-to-day -day tasks that can be done at home in a much more efficient way. Right. Right. So, so part of a key skill is to is to be able to understand those sort of pros and cons, and like you say, design work according to that. Like, like, like you say, if you if you drive in for two hours and then you just sit in your 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 office and don't talk to anyone and have a couple of Zoom meetings, you, it's going to become very awkward very quickly. Yeah. Because, like you say, the genie's out of the bottle. Like a, a few years ago, we didn't know about this, or we didn't even. Perhaps we didn't have the technology far enough along to be able to do this. Yeah. And I and I think there's a long way to go in terms of a couple of things. One is, I think in the next two to three years, you're going to see an explosion of collaborative technology that's going to make online collaboration much easier and much more seamless. You're already seeing it in, you know, releases of Teams and Zoom, you know, whiteboards, et cetera. So there's one is I think the technology will be there. But I think even though the technology is there, I think the the adoption in the training for how and culturally how we interact in remote um, has a huge opportunity, right? So I'm sure you, you know, in, in classes and, and whatnot, you know, you, you've explored or at least talked about tools like Mentimeter, um, you know, um, whiteboarding, jam boards, et cetera. Like, again, I think it takes more time to be intentional about how to utilize those things and to build new habits and new processes. But I think you can do, you can't do as much um, in, uh, sorry, online as you can do in person. I agree with you. That is the richest form of, of interaction, but there's a lot that organizations can do to um, improve how they make a, um, a Zoom meeting or a collaboration much more interactive than it is, you know, versus having, you know, 10 windows of people just talking to each other. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, I know you've done a a, a, a lot of work on, um, uh, you know, the duration of someone's career. That you know, how do where, where do they go? You know, later in their career, or even as they approach retirement, and that's that's something that you've been working on now. You know, many of many of my students are just at the outset of their career, so they might be, you know, well, I'm just trying to get a job I'm not worried about well what happens later on but but you know tell me a little bit about that that sort of you know somebody who's at the midpoint of their career or you know getting to the three-quarter mark and and starting to to transition into different aspects of their work where do you 
Yeah. How, how does that, what, what have you been doing in that area? Yeah, sure. So I think, I think it actually is relevant to, to the, to the, um, the student who's, you know, just going through their first few years of college, maybe thinking about their first job, because I think it's about planting seeds. So um, one of the, the areas of the future of work that I'm, uh, I'm really interested in is the impact of longevity. So how long we live. Uh, and we just talked about that pace of change, right? And how does that longer lifespan, increased pace of change affect work? Okay. And so what I mean by uh, increased um, longevity is um, at the turn of the century, so, you know, 1900, we basically, our life expectancy was about 47 years. Okay. We're going to live about 47 years. And now, I mean, COVID's adjusted a bit, but you're probably into your, you know, 80, 82 is pretty, pretty reasonable in terms of how long you're going to live. And so if you think about the fact that, and people born today, there, there, there's a lot of studies talking about people who are born today um, have a 50% chance of living to 100, right? So if you think about the fact that people are going to live a lot longer uh, and there's less kind of, um, you know, uh, savings programs like defined benefit pension plans or guaranteed pension plans, a lot more is going to fall on the individual to save. What that likely means is that you're going to have a much longer career. So your our parents' generation might have had a, you know, a, a, a 35, 40 year career. And then really their life, because of their life expectancy, they're only going to be around for another 10, five, 10 years. And so after you're done working, retiring and, you know, enjoying the fruits of your labor, et cetera, and laying back made a ton of sense, right? And then we also in much more, you know, laborious work than we would have been in, in the past. But now that we've transitioned a lot of our work to knowledge work, you can imagine that someone, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for someone to actually have a 50 or 60 year working career. Now that may shock your students because they're like, God, I don't want to work 50 or 60 years. Like, yeah, 60 that's crazy. Years. 60 years, you're going to have gray hair or no hair, right? One of the two. And so, <laughs> and so, so I, I, what I'm really fascinated by is um, what that actually means to a career. Because we think about work the way we think about today, which is, you know, you're 45, 50 hours, five days a week. When you start thinking about having a 50 or 60 year career, well, all of a sudden that gives you a very different perspective on what a career might look like. So things like taking a gap year after you're done college or taking a sabbatical partway through your, you know, partway through your career where your kids are a little bit younger, parental leave, um, switching careers may not be that of an odd concept because you're going to have to work for, uh, you know, a much longer period of time. You might go into full-time, part-time, you may go in a period where you're working two to three days a week, right? Yeah. And so I think opening up our view of what a career might look like, I think is a really interesting piece of how work is going to evolve. If you layer in the pace of change that we talked about uh, and the, the need to be more adaptable, the need for lifelong learning, et cetera, if you're going to survive a 50 or 60 year career and with things changing as much as they're going to change, I would argue that you're probably going to have to make sure that you stay relevant, right? Whether it be in project management, whether it be in whatever um, subject matter or or sector that you're that you're working in, and it also probably won't be that odd to be thinking about the fact that you know you might have to switch sectors or you might have to switch jobs because things are going to change. Certain jobs are going to get automated. Um, certain industries are going to shift, and you're going to have to pick up new skills, and you're going to have to be able to move from industry A to industry B, right? And they they talk about you know there's studies they're talking about now where you know, somebody who's got a career now might work in five different sectors and 12 different jobs, right? So that's yeah. the type of career that I think your students are, are, are about to embark upon. Right. How does that work? What do you say to the person who is, you know, they've, they've been in their career, they've, 
15, 20 years, they're sort of at a, you know, they're making a, a certain salary and so on. But, you know, maybe they're not as, you know, gung-ho as they were, you know, 10 years ago. So they maybe slowed, they, they've eased off a little bit. How do you then shift into that next phase? Like, you know, to get that second, that next 20 years, like if we're going to be working for 50, 60 years, we've got to, you know, we, we've got to stay relevant. How does that work? You know, because like a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, layoffs will occur or downsizing will occur and, you know, um, more expensive people that make more money, more expensive resources are replaced with those who make less, you know, younger employees that make less. How's that going to work out for, for those employees who are at sort of top of scale, but perhaps not as productive as they used to be? Like, where, where do they go? Well, I think there's so, I think there's a, I think there's a bit of a shift that needs to happen. Um, we tend to, from a societal perspective, we tend to still value youth, right? And we value, you know, the ability to think quick, the about the ability to problem solve, all those things. Um, when you get into your, uh, you know, when you get into your second half, there's actually uh, research out there that talks about, um, while you might slow down on some of those, um, you know, uh, problem solving innovation type uh, intelligences, your intelligence around mentoring, coaching, um, connecting the dots, storytelling, et cetera, actually improves. So there's a book uh, that, I, that I've that i been reading called uh, Strength to Strength by uh, an author called uh, Arthur Brooks. So he writes for The Atlantic on, uh, on happiness, and he teaches at um, Harvard Business School. And he talks about two curves of intelligence. One is fluid intelligence, which is what when you're early in your career, into your 40s, and even your 50s, uh, that's your ability to, to think fast, problem solve, all the things that we tend to value. But he talks about the second curve, which he calls crystallized intelligence, where it's really your wisdom curve, right? And I think the opportunity is for people to, he talks about this book, is to move from the, the fluid intelligence activities to more of the crystallized intelligence activities and developing those coaching and mentoring skills. And what I've seen, which is I think is, is, is interesting, is having worked in established uh, large multinational enterprises. There's lots of people who have lots of experiences. And I've also worked in the startup community where I've seen a lot of young entrepreneurs who are great at tech, but they don't have a lot of business experience. They don't have a lot of leadership experiences. I think the actually magic formula is to try to blend those two things together is how do you get the people who have experience, but may not understand the technology or may not understand the new ways of, of working or new approaches of working. And how do you get the people who understand the new approaches to working? Uh, how do you help them with the wisdom to understand some of the contexts of why decisions are made or to think through a problem in a more holistic way? Not because they're not smart, it's just because they haven't, haven't had that experience. And so actually for when you talked about people, you know, thinking about their second half of their career, I think as you've gone through the first half, we tend to value those initial things around the problem solving. I think as you get into your second half, starting to think about what are some of the ways that you can still add, you can add value through mentoring, through providing experience, um, et cetera, are things to explore. But I think it's just being, um, you know, as you get into your your, your mid, uh, midlife of your career, I don't think it's any different than when you're early in your career. It's th those who are more intentional, those who are more curious, those who build a network and relationships are the ones who tend to have options and tend to be able to navigate through some of these um, shifts and changes because they've got, you know, they've got the connections to help them see different opportunities, introduce them to opportunities. 
uh, but they're also staying curious and they're trying to explore new ways of, of, of approaching their career or or upgrading their skills. Right. So this is this is the type of thing that you're you're helping people understand is, you know, if you if you're in your career, if you're static and you you kind of just leave it at that, that you might find yourself at that point where there is somebody who can do it better, quicker, faster. And, and that that's, you know, a danger for you. But, you know, if you, um, you know, start to understand that, yeah, maybe you're not as creative or, or quick as you used to be, but you've built up all this experience and knowledge. And if you can, if you can um, uh, maneuver yourself, get yourself into a role that where that is provides value, then you, that increases your longevity. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And if you think about what we just talked about around, um, you know, remote work, one of the things that I've been seeing is uh, one of the groups that have, have, have suffered the most when it comes to remote work are actually people who are recent graduates and new to their career entering the workforce, right? Because we forget about the fact that when you are first to your career entering a workforce, you learn a lot of things by observation, you learn a lot of things by asking people next to you. Uh, might be a boss who or, or a supervisor who's mentoring you, et cetera. You know, in the early parts of COVID and in, into this remote work, you don't have a lot of those form, informal interactions uh, that you would had you been in an in-person um, in-person environment. And right. so I think about how could you, how could, uh, you know, how could we create more, you know, intentional mentorship and coaching opportunities for those people? Because I think that's what you're going to need is, is, um, is for those, is to create more of a, a mentor coaching environment because the days of you know i'm your boss or i'm you know somebody who can tell you step by step what to do i don't think those days are that's not what bosses can do anymore oftentimes you know your immediate supervisor may not even have they may not have never done your job you know whereas 20 30 years ago most of the people when they rose in their career they rose because they did a job well, they got promoted to a supervisor, to a team leader, to a manager. You're seeing a lot more people moving across different functions, um, et cetera. You know, I, for me, as an example, I've worked, I've ran a call center, I've worked in project management, I've worked in marketing, I've worked in business development, I've worked in talent and HR. I haven't done most of the jobs that are in those different areas, right? So I'm applying much more of a leadership, you know, mentality and problem solving mentality, but I'm re relying on the people that are you know, that, that are there to be able to figure out how to solve the problems on their own. The best I can do is help coach them. So again, I go back to, I think for a lot of the people who are mid-career and beyond, they have a huge asset in their ability to be able to coach, mentor, um, provide perspective, connect dots for people that may not have that yet. And so I think organizations, as they figure out how to combine those things and create that intergenerational diversity, I think is, is going to be a huge part of how we move forward. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, man, because that that is true. You know, in 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 person organizations, you know, like basically, you know, pre pandemic and and so on, you there there was a lot of there was a lot of knowledge passed just even by imitation. You know, you'd be you you go into a meeting and you'd learn. You know, well, where, where are you supposed to sit? How are you supposed to, you know, should you lean forward? Do you lean back? You know, what do you, what do you do? What should I wear? You know, like what, yep. there's all kinds of cues that are being observed, both just passively, but also in terms of, of mentoring of, you know, being able to walk down the hall with someone and say, hey, what's, you know, tell me a little bit about this or that, um, that all that happened versus that's, 
more difficult, like not impossible, like not, but, but there, there is a, you know, you and I are in a Zoom meeting, we're in different boxes. We don't have side conversations. You know, if you and I are in a meeting with three other people, you and I can't just talk, you know, one-to-one. -one. It would be odd within a, within a Zoom meeting or within, within this sort of environment. So, you know, is, is, you know, for young people, and again, bringing it back to young people entering the workforce, how do they get to know those norms and, and so on, you know, and, and that's, that's like you, you, you sort of suggested some of them in terms of, you know, there needs to be mentoring or there needs to be some sort of training involved recognition that they're, you know, you know, young employees, they, they may be, it might be adrift a little bit and not really understand how to. Yeah. How yeah. To well, and I, I think it goes back to like, in a remote environment, you have to be more intentional than you are in person. Because in person, you can rely on all sorts of informal activities that organically happen. Whereas in a remote environment, you can accomplish the same things, but it needs to be kind of in person. Or sorry, it has to be much more intentional, right? Because it just doesn't organically happen as it is in person. So, so in your example of like some of the things we talked about, norm meeting norms, et cetera, you can talk about those things. Like that is something that that's you know, that's experience that can be passed on, but it needs to be passed on in a more, like you have to be more intentional about it, right? And so I think this is, goes back to when we were talking about, um, you know, remote and hybrid, it's about designing experiences for the employees, right? And I think that's the part that, um, you know, that organizations need to get their heads around is that you, we're now in a, we're now in an environment where most of our experiences are designed for us, right? They're customized, they're personalized, right? Like think about, you know, think about Netflix, think about all the different providers that, you know, provide you suggestions. They, they're trying to personalize and customize that experience for you. So why is that any different for an employee or someone that works for you, right? So, you know, if, it, if, it's, if it's, you know, folks who are graduate, if your desire is to really recruit the best project managers out of Conestoga College, Right. If I was an organization and that was my target market, I would be figuring out how to design solutions for them, just like if I was marketing to them. Right. What are their what are their behaviors? What are their assumptions? What are the things that they're thinking about? Right. And spending time with them to understand what some of their challenges are and then engineering the, the workplace experience so that you're you're meeting some of those needs. Right. And I think. Right now, we're still in a workplace environment where like everybody gets the same experience. And I think what you're going to see over the number of years is I think you're going to see essentially segmentation of workers so that they'll create more personalized experiences for different segments of, of the population. Whether you're just entering the workforce or what we talked about, someone who's mid-career, I think there's a huge opportunity to, to, to uh, design an experience for people who uh, want to go and work in a different form of work, right? You've got people who... Um, Maybe we talk about this all the time with knowledge loss. You've got all these boomers who are going to be retiring from your workforce and they're going to leave your organization with, with that knowledge. Are there creative ways that you could actually retain them? Maybe to mentor your employees, to stay and provide knowledge, but not in a full-time capacity. Maybe it's a in a freelance capacity. Maybe it's a contractor capacity, right? So again, how do we get creative about how we put together the workforce um, so it actually meets, again, the customer needs, but also meets the needs of, of the diversity of talent that we're looking for. Yeah, that, that seems like a huge challenge in terms of, you know, you, you, there's certainly a lot for you to do in this area for sure. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to get my mind around that of different experiences for, for different employees. And that, that, that is, 
that 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 is quite the thing to to uh, to think about in terms of what that workplace is going to be like, you know, five years from now or ten years from now, you know, compared yeah. to what we've experienced to now. Well, it's going to be. I mean, it already is now, and it's going to be even further. It's going to be a, a diverse and multi generational workforce, right? I mean, again, if people are going to be working sixty years. Right, you're going to have a whole number of generations that are working in the workplace at the same time, and not to say generations are the only predictor of expectations, but the the point is you're going to have a lot of diversity of expectations. Right, not everybody's going to have the same expectations um, of their employer, and I think again, if you think of the power dynamics, there's been a real shift in the power dynamics between the employ employer to the employee. Right, and that's happened in every that's that's happened everywhere. Right, because of the things we've talked about, increased transparency, the ability to connect with people. Like I'm a big basketball fan. So I think about what Kawhi, ha what happened a few years ago with the Toronto Raptors, you know, Kawhi Leonard basically had the league at his mercy and dictated what player moves were because he had the power because everybody wanted him. He could communicate with the other people that he wanted to play with, et cetera. 50 years ago, that wouldn't have happened, right? Because the, the, the power was with, organizations now again if we go into a recession i think that'll you know that'll even itself out a little bit but i think firmly we've seen a swing in um the shift in power from employer to employee or talent because uh, i don't even think really an employee employee mindset anymore because again you have freelancers contractors there's all sorts of work but i think talent is really in a good position um but my butt is is that the the, the, it's the talent that has the mindset that we talked about around adaptability, continuous learning, um, and, uh, and and willingness to to kind of to to forge through an uncertain environment. They're the, going to be the ones who are going to have an inordinate amount of power to be able to um, work at organizations because that's where the that's that's where the employers are. They're looking for those individuals, right? Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting. Uh, environment for your graduates or your program to be coming into because it's a much more fluid talent marketplace and there's almost too many options at this point in time. Yeah, that's I'm just sort of thinking about that as we as as we're kind of coming full circle back. Hey, now what about for graduates or somebody that's that's in college right now? What should they focus on? And and that's where we're starting to come back to you know again communication adaptability uh you know being able to you know be able to change how does one get that like is that is that a is that a, a skill that you can acquire or is that something you are like what what do you what do you think on that is do, do can can you teach adaptability you know or or are there adaptable people that 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 excel yeah i think i think we're i think there's there's definitely you know we're we have a pre predisposition to you know, anxiety, comfort levels, et cetera. So I think that is that is what it is. But I do think that you can, uh, if teach is the right word, I think you can push yourself into uncertain situations to build the muscle of being more and more adaptable. So it's like anything. I think the first time you do something, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be that fun. It may be hard, right? And so what's the right level that you push yourself out of your comfort zone? But I think if you're continuing to push yourself out of your comfort zone and you're continuing to stay mindful of I'm interested in something I want to explore and stay curious. I think that's, um, you know, that's the skill you need to build, you know, early on. That is one of those compounding skills that if you do it more as you're young, it'll become increasingly easier and easier and easier 
um, as you get into, you know, your, you know, mid, mid career, late career, et cetera. So it is something that I think um, you can build, but I think it's um, about doing it on a repeated basis uh, and just being mindful of the fact that that's, that's something that you have to do. I think that challenges become when people graduate and they feel like they've arrived. They feel like I've graduated, I've got my first job and I'm going to keep working at this job. Uh, and they're not looking to continue to explore, improve themselves, et cetera. I think that's where you can potentially run into challenges. You know, of course it can work in, in certain professions, um, et cetera, but I, I, I'd venture to guess there's not a lot of professions that aren't going to get impacted by technology, pace of change, globalization in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Like I think all industries are going to be, um, are going to shift, you know, going back to the, the, the comment I made about earlier pre-pandemic about public sector, which I think public sector tended to be a little bit more of a static. It didn't change. It wasn't. It wasn't as. It didn't change as rapidly as as private sector. You're seeing private se public sector change. You know, being requiring to shift to remote and hybrid and all these other environments. So, um, you know, for new graduates, uh, I think if you walk into your career thinking I'm going to have to continue to evolve, I have never arrived. I think that's the the mindset that's gonna gonna help them. Uh, continue to navigate, um, you know, what's going to be in front of us. And it, I, I think all I can say is that it's going to be, uh, it's going to change. It's not going to stay static. Yeah. Yeah. That, that old expression, the only thing that's constant is change has never been more true. So, so uh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Simon, there's been a great discussion. You know, I, I really enjoyed the, the, uh, uh, the, the various aspects and it sounds like you, you're really doing some interesting work I'm I'm still trying to get my mind around a 60-year career I'm still I'm still trying to figure that one out that'll that's that's a that's an interesting one but but it must take you into you know, really some interesting discussions and so on so yeah absolutely and let, let me leave you with this think of it this way so if you think about it we've been given in the last call it 50 years an extra 10 to 15 years of longevity. Uh, I'll call it a longevity bonus. And most of us, most of our parents' generation or uh, people in front of us, all they've done is taken that 10 or 15 years and just tacked it onto the end of their career. So they've had a much longer retirement. If you knew you were going to get another 10 to 15 years of bonus in terms of the, in terms of your life, would you tack it onto the end of the at end of your life? Or would you probably take that and redistribute it throughout your life? And I think that's when you think of it that way to think about it may be a 60 year career, but you may have that longevity bonus or breaks or, or things of that nature interspersed into those 60 years. It might be a more palatable way of thinking about it. Um, because I think about for myself, you know, I took a, I took a sabbatical, um, you know, when my son was, you know, when my son was going into high school and I took a year off and spent time with him, spent time with my family, my parents who were, you know, in their late seventies, you know, it, you know, looking at it initially, I think people are like, well, what are you doing? That's kind of odd. But in the context of a, you know, maybe a 50 or 60 year working career, actually, to me, it makes a lot more sense to spend time with the people that you care about when you can, you know, right. work's always going to be there. Right. And so again, I think that's the mindset of, of thinking about a more extended career, but just not in the way that we think about it today. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. A lot of times, you know, like you say, people, they, they, they want the retirement is all at the end or that, that that period of time is all at the end and and uh uh even even worse is sometimes you don't get there you yeah you, absolutely you, you just hit you know there's always the story of you 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 hit retirement and then 
you know something happens and they're yep. they're they're gone they they've they've never they didn't get it at all so um you know interspersing it is is good i think sometimes people worry about well once i leave maybe i won't be able to get back in you know there there is anxiety about that so that must be something that is that is that is something to to address and to, and to, and to work on that absolutely well and again if you think about if you're graduating today but you go into it with the mindset of i'm constantly upgrading myself i'm keeping a healthy network right that's that's why people feel like they're not gonna if they leave they can't go back in it's because most of those people likely haven't kept maintained a network and maintained their made sure that they're relevant on their skills the more you continue to upgrade your skills and the more you make sure that you have a healthy network it enables you the enables you and provides you with the opportunities to be able to take some of those breaks and so i think that's the going to be the shift is people getting their heads around that uh and uh and you're and you're seeing it you know the pandemic has uh you know you talk about the great resignation etc you're seeing the pandemic spur people into action and to take pause and go you know maybe what i was doing is exactly what i want to do i might want to make a shift and so again, to your point about like, can it be taught? I think those people who made a shift now are gonna realize either learn some things from it or they made the shift and realize it's actually not that bad or I can do this. And they'll be more likely to make shifts down the road. And I think that's how you're gonna see some of this evolve. Yeah, no, really interesting stuff. So um, anyways, thanks uh, thanks, Simon for sharing your your thoughts and your wisdom on this. Uh, it's, it's always great talking to you. Yeah, happy to. It's uh, great talking to you as well, Dave. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to my discussion with Simon Chan. As I think was evident, Simon has many ideas that will both inspire and challenge you regarding the future of work. His advice regarding lifelong learning, the need to embrace change, and the importance of maintaining healthy networks is essential. If you like this series of discussions, please consider following Understanding Projects on your favorite podcast player or clicking subscribe on YouTube.